0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about Season 2, Episode 20, The Maquis Part 1. How's it going, Mike? It's going good, man. I uh, My coffee
1: has gone cold, Keith, from all the futzing. The time take. Took Futsing, but listen,
0: it's what we do. It's who we are. The Futsing, we I I have exactly this much Futsing left this left this week. So when we do toys, <laughs> I know no FUTSING.
1: I think maybe I'm not going to say those words out loud. Actually, so uh, uh, we'd like to thank our new sponsors. The Saudis have uh, sent us a, a a a drum of blood money oil to uh-huh. uh, to you know instead of their three dollar Patreon payment. But regardless, we thank them. And uh, uh, thankfully, we aren't having children, Keith, because they wanted our firstborn.
0: Yeah. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes. Well, that's that is such a deep cut. Uh, uh, even I only half understand it, but uh, <laughs> but here we are, nonetheless, talking about deep space. Now we had such a great episode last week, and uh, we are now doing the uh, the first two-parter mm-hmm. of Deep Space Nine. Uh, very excited. We had sort of a three-parter with the Circle Trilogy to begin season two, but uh, it wasn't properly a part one, part two. For the first time ever this week, Keith,
1: The I always read the Deep Space Nine companion after I watch the episode because mm-hmm. I want to avoid any sort of spoiler Spoilers. buzz. Um, and this is the first week where I read it, and it actually... Uh. Took the episode down a few pegs, in my opinion, because of it. Interesting. And uh, we'll get to that when we get there, because uh, I, I was I was chalking up some of my, not distaste, some of my quibbles because of first part of a two-parter, you know, table right. setting, table setting. But I found out, uh, and we'll all find out, that there was a little bit more table setting than I had thought, and uh-huh. I didn't like that choice. I understand it, but doesn't mean I gotta like it, Keith. It reminds me very much of... Some of the problems with season seven, eight of the practice that we talked about before. Uh-huh.
0: But okay. we'll get there.
1: We'll get we'll get to all that.
0: We will talk all about it. But first, before we talk about anything, uh, we have to talk about our Patreons, our patrons at patreon.com slash and M. And they are at this exact moment. Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, lover 69 Jason Moe, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Novoa, and The Mysterious, Worf's Boot CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, Nikolai Ivanovich, Lobachevsky, At Grim Toys, Delusions at Noon, and Eric Wilson. Uh, Mike, what are they getting at this particular uh, level?
1: Our friends at Patreon.com slash k they get all kinds of goodies. We Have you noticed on the YouTube, we've been playing that video game, Keith. Uh, people seem to enjoy our misery, uh, and they patrons are getting it first in fact they already have Mm. part three it's sitting in their face
0: already part three the drunken musical which is we've set a bar (laughs) that i'm not sure we we have that effort level every time but hey we absolutely legitimately uh if you haven't seen it because you haven't well who knows when you when you're actually watching this video we improvise an entire musical while we're stalling for the stupid pixels to go beep
1: it, I had way more fun than I had hoped. Um, so stupid. They get that. They get other unboxings. In fact, I'm about to dig into my Christmas toys and record those for all of our patrons uh, with or without Keith. God damn it. Uh, but also, you get to watch me watch Deep Space Nine. There's been some really lovely comments on the channel that I have to say for a mo- in a moment of vulnerability have meant a lot to me because Ooh. I wasn't clear how many people thought – they would hate my reactions to this show because I'd never watched it before. Ah. But uh, thus far, the feedback has been that people have come to treasure me watching this with fresh eyes. And that means a lot to me. The kind words have meant a lot to me. You sharing those kind words has meant a lot to me. Even more, I watch every episode. My first virgin watch of each episode happens on the Patreon feed. Um, and you can watch along with me, uh, skirting, the, skirting the very boundaries of legality. And uh, people have been wa- – the patrons are watching. I was, I was unsure if I was just in a void uh, providing content that no one was watching. But they have been commenting, Keith. They are watching with me. I appreciate it. It's such a fun little community, folks. Get on board. Patreon.com slash K and M.
0: Yes, indeed. All right. Well, I think it's time to talk about the marquee part. One, which aired on april 24th 1994 we had another couple of weeks off between the previous episode and this one and our top song uh speaking of problematic uh the the, even more problematic than necessarily are you know being bought by the saudis it is bump and grind by r kelly oh no so uh is that that's on me Uh, It's always on you. You you have a lot of ethical decisions to make right now, buddy.
1: It's time to bump and grind behind those prison bars where I belong. Because I'm a terrible garbage human. Wow. Don't drop the soap. Wow. That was... Can
0: I put that on the very problematic episode so
1: far? Come on, you can't tell me that
0: R. Kelly doesn't deserve that. A million percent deserves all of it. So the top movie uh, was Bad Girls, which I don't necessarily remember. But there's an interesting piece of trivial trivia about it. That's nothing to do with Star Trek. Uh, Andy McDowell is was the first uh, woman to be in the number one movie twice in a row. In different movies, because last week's number one movie was Four Weddings and a Funeral. So, uh, Annie McDowell having a moment here uh, in April of 1994 Hmm. uh, before she blows up uh, Les Moonves on The Practice. It. just and you can a couple watch us of talk years about that later too. go check out your we, podcast feeds we have a lot of feelings about that uh, but do we have any feelings about what was on tv yeah, tonight a couple of things worth mentioning keith of course uh for
1: those of us who are watching on sunday as is the date that keith gave us um we had uh mike's favorite uh, cops and uh the the double block your, oh no this is sunday excuse me the sunday block uh on fox we had a special keith it was called fox on ice which I can only imagine was like a ice capades of Fox
0: properties, which of of car crashes and I like a bear a YouTube in a of that. person oh, when no. ice skaters attack. But
1: uh the Sunday night movie on on NBC Keith was The Sound of Music, a classic. But do you know what the lead in to the sound of music was? It was they were trying out a prime time version of Barney and Friends at seven PM. Barney must have been so huge at this point because Bar- remember when Barney first came out, it was blowing up.
0: No, I like Barney is giant, but at seven, because like if you're a three year old, you're usually in bed before seven.
1: Yeah, but maybe Sunday night
0: movies, they're they were they thought it would be more kids, so they were doing a lead in. Well, kids, but like if you're gonna stay up to watch sound of music, you're not four, you're like eight, you're nine, you're 10.
1: Yeah, I hear you. And then if you were watching in the Saturday market, uh, Guys, Saturday nights, 8 p.m., great NBC block. We had Blossom coming in at 8 p.m. Remember Blossom? My and Bialik way before the Jeopardy days. The Mommies. Didn't get NBC. At 8.30, which I do not remember that show. Do you remember The
0: Mommies? I, I, we did not get NBC up in Vermont at Keith, that point. Then
1: one of my faves, Empty Nest, which was a, a spinoff of what popular show?
0: Again, for the third the time. golden did girls did not get NBC.
1: The golden girls, but Keith. <laughs> most importantly, do you know what the ABC Saturday Night the movies was? I do Star not. Star Trek for the voyage home. Oh,
0: good one. That's what the whales. Good right? one. Yeah, it's the whales one. Wow, Mike That's, knew that somehow. Wow. All right. Well, that, I mean that that one's worth standing up for. Yeah, I would a million times step for that. That was my best whale. <laughs> Well, I'm gr- we I'm looking for want your blood money. <laughs> so the, that's gonna end up on the soundboard. If that if if your whale call <laughs> doesn't end up on the soundboard. Steve,
1: at least at least harmonize with my whale and then I'll put that on the soundboard. Ready? Three, two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was me not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Only one of us is canceled. <laughs>
1: Wow. Okay, let's move on. Next week Mike watches Deep Space 9
0: is just a chair. <laughs> just, that's right. Keith Keith quits. Ah, all right. But luckily, enough with the shenanigans. Let's get to what's important this week. And that is the weekly world news headline, and the headline this week, big news. Yeah. Stay tuned. Satan speaks from erupting volcano. Uh with Wait, an well, amazing graphic.
1: What's he, what's he saying?
0: Actually sounded more like a Mount. Mount. Okay. nobody knows <laughs> yeah, i know i love our inside deep cuts <laughs> uh yeah so um big there's a lot going on you, it's so funny like they had like barney on and like blossom on when satan's talking from a volcano you think they might have some live coverage of that but but no it's just what happens i mean barney's got a satan vibe about him for sure For sure. All right. So, I I don't know what to say about any of that. So, uh, here we are talking about Deep Space Nine. you. You love me. We're a happy family. Mike has had his coffee and Keith's still waking up doing this at noon. Uh, This episode should be over soon. Okay. It will not be. Nope. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, so the McKee part one, season two, episode 20, was directed by veteran director David Livingston, who last directed... Playing God and was written by James Cocker, who last wrote on Paradise. Oh, thank you for my coffee. Oh, look who's getting treated today! Yeah, that's right. Uh, (laughs) the teleplay by James Cocker, who last wrote Last Paradise, and has a story by Rick Berman, Michael Piller, Jerry Taylor, and James Cocker Crocker. So they brought in all the big guns for this the uh, the the showrunners for this and the upcoming showrunners for Star Trek Voyager because guess what uh this is the beginning of dropping the breadcrumbs for Star Trek Voyager mm-hmm. Mike which we know if he start, loves that we're going to start talking about it in a little segment we call Now Keith waste your time with Trivial Trivia. Bing. Okay, so the reference to the Badlands and losing ships is a setup for Star Trek Voyager, which was already deep in pre-production and which premiered a year later, as is the introduction of the Maquis. And uh, the Maquis, of course, are named for the French resistance during the Nazi occupation of France. Um, So uh, the Maquis settlement is a reuse of the set from the Next Generation episode Ensigns of Command. Uh, And lastly, because I I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about the Voyager setups, uh, I'll just get this out. Uh, Eagle-eyed viewers might notice that when Ducat and Sisko enter the promenade, Ducat is full-on having a wardrobe malfunction uh, well before the Super Bowl. Uh, He's got that armor sort of in the front, and half of it was unbuckled, so Mm. it was sort of flapping in the breeze while they were having that scene, which does not seem very ducat ish to me. Uh, So, Mike, why don't you pull out your information from uh, a certain place, and we can talk about the the setup of it all.
1: Um, Yes, in a little segment, we call...
0: <coach Savior> um, deep, deep space.
1: We be learn the
0: so
1: Okay. <sighs> Although the McKee parts one and two hold up on their own as strong dramatic stories spiced with some good action sequences, the whole reason they entrant. Was to lay some necessary groundwork for new series about to be launched. Star Trek Voyager. Boo. Don't take up so, my time with your Voyager bullshit crap. Well, we knew that we wanted to I include so a renegade element in Voyager and that that show would involve a ship housing both Starfleet people and the idealistic freedom fighters that the Federation felt were outlaws, explains Jerry Taylor. So in order to avoid having some burdensome backstory and exposition in Voyager's pilot, we decided we could plant the idea of the McKee in shows that were already on the air. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. Directing a piece of a multi-part episode, not to mention a piece intended to set up a separate television series, can be a frustrating task, observes Livingston. It was tough because it's a setup show. You know, you're going in and you're not going to get all the goodies. You have to do all the work, all the exposition, all the character introduction. So it lacks something on its own. You can't really pay off anything you set up because that's going to happen in the next part. The second hour is going to get all the action. I got very little action, although I have to get, although I did get Doldacot to hit somebody. Uh, another big piece. Nana and Terry are great together. Livingston enthusiastically. Uh, states, especially when they're discussing sex sexual stuff, because although it's two women talking, it always ends up kind of bizarre. Kira's kind of macho, a very masculine kind of woman in a military uniform who has a sexual side, but most of the time is running around acting really rigid, and Dax has been both a man and a woman several times, so the dynamics we, between the two are a lot more interesting than just two women talking. I agree with that. But yeah. Keith, here's something I really think adds some, some color. Uh, at the top of Act Five, Cisco and Starfleet representative is talking via com in his office. They can't hear what he's saying, but the heated tone of the conversation is obvious. In fact, a scene was filmed and later cut in which Cisco follows mm. up on the close conversation by picking up his desk monitor and throwing it on the floor. What was he oh, so geez. What was he so steamed about? Keith, here is the actual dialogue Cisco is having with the oh, Admiral on the other side of the monitor. Uh, we neither hear the dialogue nor see the Admiral on the monitor. Um, we do see Cisco trying to keep his temper while em- emphatically responding to the uh, the inquiries. Here we go. <clears throat> I'm going to do it in character. Cisco. Oh, okay. No, I'm not. Cisco, I'm hoping— You know,
0: if, 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 the, if the Deep Space Nine companion that you had mailed to me, like, I don't know, six days ago, had arrived— uh, you It know- actually
1: was placed in the mail yesterday, Keith, but you'll know that that was a national mm-hmm. holiday, so it's actually going uh, out today. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, because uh, we'd be able to read this together. Taking time. Sisko says, bristling, I'm hoping I don't have to remind the Admiral how many times, how many people pass through here during a week's time. It's not possible to keep tabs on every single person while they're on the station. Admiral, I didn't, if I didn't know you better, Commander, I think you were just making excuses. Sisko, heatedly, I'm not making excuses. Would it be in keeping with Federation policy to frisk everyone who steps through our airlocks? To search through every room of every visitor during their stay? Admiral. Of course not, but with two kidnappings and a ship being destroyed, all in less than a week's time, obviously your security measures leave something to be desired. Cisco, security on this station is by the book. Our security program and the officers who work in it are first-rate, Admiral. Then what were they doing when all this was happening? We here at Starfleet are watching how you resolve this situation very closely, Commander. We think it might be prudent to replace this chief of security you have. Cisco, Odo is both highly intelligent and extremely thorough. He's the most qualified person I have for the job, Admiral. Still, it would be a concrete example that you are taking active measures to resolve this situation, Admiral, or uh, Captain, um, Commander, and to make sure it doesn't happen again. I stand behind my chief of security 100%. That may be a mistake, Commander. Then it's my mistake, Then let me make my point again. Starfleet is very unhappy that this happened. We want this matter taken care of immediately. I don't have to remind you how this reflects on your position. We are doing everything we can to apprehend the kidnappers. Don't bother me with details. Just clean up the mess, Commander. And quickly, before this becomes a permanent stain on your record, do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. The Admiral image disappears from the monitor. Then we pick up at in his office. Cisco drops his head. Interesting. Wow, that's that's a lot of stakes there.
0: That's that I think I think at least some of that would have been really helpful to have to again to to add stakes for Cisco to see why he's really on the edge and having to and having to pretend that he's not on the edge for Ducat and so on and so forth. I feel like I don't think we needed all of that, but I think a lot of that. I feel like we get it
1: in the scene where Odo's defending himself to the to the crew, but. Cisco having his back there, I think, is actually something that would have I, would have been helpful.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that was like a page and a half. I think we could have used a half page, okay. but I think that would have been really helpful. Interesting. So all right, well, we're going to talk much more about all of it a little bit later when we get into the episode. But before we do that, we have to talk about what was Next Gen doing? Mm. Uh, Next Gen was airing Firstborn, in which Alexander sends himself back in time to tell his child self, uh, toughen up a little bit, be a warrior. Uh, And uh, it's an interesting episode. Like, what what if you could send yourself back in time to give yourself some advice? Uh, So there it is. Alexander, man, they just never gave up on pushing that character on us. All right, so the guest stars for this episode include Tony Plana as Amoros, Bertilla Damas as Sakona, who also did two characters on Voyager, Richard Poe back as Gullovec, Michael A. Kravick as William Samuels, who also did one episode of Voyager and two of Enterprise. Of course, Mark Limo as Gul Dukat, and Bernie Casey here as Calvin Hudson. I think it's time. Well, Keith, it would to, uh... be time. However, I think it's important to discuss
1: that... Um... I have to get us the uh, screenshots properly, but you know what? I'll uh. do that just in real time because there's no time to mess around. You know what I mean? There's no time. <laughs> I'm so tiny.
0: <laughs> you are so tiny, <laughs> Mike.
1: Are you shrinking? Uh, there we go. Is that better? That that looks like me. Hey,
0: yeah, That looks a little
1: better. Oh, yeah. Okay. Great. Um, um uh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> weekly screens. I have, I have
0: opinions about Deep Space Nine. I'm stalling for time because I didn't do the screenshots yet.
1: I did them. I just forgot to put them in there. Add directory. Where did I put them though, Keith? That's a big question here. Uh, they're, they're in the Dropbox where they always are, aren't I know, they? know, but I, I, weekly screens. Oh no. Yeah, I need to count my time. There we go. Does that feel right?
0: Yeah, there okay, it is.
1: Great. great, great, great.
0: Well done. Okay, well, <laughs> this, this episode is uh, off the rails, surprisingly, because we've never been off the rails before.
1: I was about to say it's Monday, but it is not, in fact. It's
0: Tuesday. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, here we are in our teaser, and there's a fancy Cardassian freighter docked at Deep Space Nine. And after some Cardassians board carrying tubes of some short sort, a nameless bald Federation officer opens a panel. Why you gotta bald shame him? I I have to somehow distinguish him. There's a picture. Well, a lot of people do do audio here. Okay, so... uh, He's hair challenged. Completely uh, uninteresting white dude walks by... Random white comes in with a (laughs) nameless bald. (laughs) (laughs) He anyway, whoever, however he identifies, he opens a panel and starts doing something to the ship. Then we head to ops and Kira is teasing Dax about going on a date with Captain Baudet who was a gallamite and gallamites. Of course, everybody knows have transparent skulls. So you can literally see their brains,
1: but he, she does. Inf- she does enforce that. She's in it for his mind, Keith, not
0: his bow Wow. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, Kira is kind of judgy about it. And, uh, and about the, about the looks and Dax. There you go. That's, <laughs> Timing. Timing. You know what comedy is? Timing.
1: <laughs> Patreon.com uh, slash K&M if you uh, want to support this.
0: K wants to go home. Mm. All right. So uh, anyway, Dax puts her in a place. Says, uh, why, why are you being so uh, so judgy about appearance? But we also hear that Dax dates Ferengis. That's interesting, which uh, I'm sitting here thinking, maybe I got a shot. She dates Ferengis. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's my first window. Then uh, after all of that, that Cardassian transport ship heads off and then boom, it full on explodes. And uh, that is the end of our teaser. And then... Uh- kira quips i guess the date's off yeah yeah something like that so the guy uh, she was gonna go out with just blew up no 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 no, no. Bodet was not on that ship oh no but no no uh captain Bodet is a federation officer this gotcha. is a card is that the guy
1: ship. who comes in and is ben's buddy no 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 did he have a transparent skull oh yeah you're right i well, why didn't yeah. we get to see him do we get to see him eventually because that's cool transparent I'm skull? Not gonna,
0: I, i'm not gonna spoil it
1: okay that's a yes. Let's not
0: spoil it, but, but we will hear more of Bode in the future. The bodacious Bode. Bode, body, body. Bode, body, body. So, in Act One, O'Brien and Kira are scanning the wreckage looking for why the ship blew up. Cisco is impatient, and we hear that all the Bajoran outposts are being put on alert for reprisals from the Cardassians. And everybody sort of doubts immediately that it was an accident. Then O'Brien finds some mercassium in the wreckage, and it shouldn't be there because uh, mercassium is Federation tech, and it's classified. They don't share it with anybody. Then Dax, of course, figures out it wasn't an explosion, but an implosion, and that means it was not an accident. Mm. Uh, so we've got some sort of a, you know, boom. A uh, Then a Federation commander, Calvin Hudson, shows up. And uh, he's wearing the old Next Generation-style uniforms because that's what they wore on Federation ships still at this point, um, as they were on Next Gen. Uh, but uh, so he, we find out, is A, old buddies with Cisco and Dax, because Dax is old buddies with literally everybody that walks on the station. And he. Uh, we also find out that he is in charge of the Federation colonies in the demilitarized zone. So, uh, guys, it is time to pick up your exposition shovel because we are about to explain a lot. For those of but you bef- who
1: watching on the YouTube, good example of, here comes a new character. Mm-hmm. You don't have any lines, so make a choice as to what you think of this character and give me a face.
0: Oh, that's great. 100%. Dax is like, oh, it's my old buddy. And uh, Odo is like... No, mm. don't trust you. Don't trust you for a second. Well, who's right? <laughs> well, you know, Odo's instincts. Very, very good. Uh, but before they get too far into the exposition, he asks if Cisco and Dex are hooking up. And uh, you know, Cisco says, Nope, that would be strange. But it and it makes me wonder though, because you know, I wonder how strange it would be. In that situ, I mean, I I guess it would be if you knew somebody before, but like you know, if we like take the an- the analogy all the way through, though, right? So like your your old buddy transitions, mm-hmm. and now your old buddy is hot, and you have a pre, you know, you have a friendship there. Like I don't know, eh,
1: why not? Well, it's I mean, the- I think if you want to dep- really, I
0: guess it depends on what the relationship was. Yeah, and you guys probably
1: okay so let me let me adjust i'm not saying it would change this i'm just saying if i was to yep. adjust the analogy slightly your your old buddy transitioned back and forth a bunch of times because uh-huh right and also your most recent your relationship with him her them was based a lot on some womanizing and some your college years you know what i mean so that would be an right. adjustment that would be an adjustment Right, not saying yeah, it's not possible, it, but it, it would be strange. I think that it, it, it yeah,
0: it, it would. It, it, strange yeah. is a good word. Yeah, but I, not necessarily off the table. I mean, I could see Man. that happening. Anyway, twenty twenty three. Maybe nothing's off the table. Yeah, I mean they, 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 they like each other. I mean, I mean that they're, they're both single and 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 good looking and ready to mingle. So whatever. So uh, we continue send code. your fan fiction to look at my Star Trek toys at gmail Yeah, don't, please
1: don't don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's only room for keith's fan fiction <laughs> Ooh, do, do not involve if if you're gonna write slash fiction uh, uh, it, you, by all means write me into it don't send it to me all right so uh <laughs> send it to my, yeah but you know the slash fiction's gonna be about buddy uh anyway so let's move forward we find out that both Cisco and Hudson have dead wives and dark backstories. And Hudson is very concerned about the Federation colonies that were established before the treaty with Cardassia that shifted the borders putting them then into Cardassian space and not Federation territory. And Hudson thinks the treaty screwed them because the Cardassians won't protect them. Okay, so Huge exposition dump here. Uh, did you follow what was happening? what all this was about?
1: You know it's interesting you asked me that question because
0: normally when
1: exposition comes this hot and heavy, it's funny we were talking about this with the last of us the other night. I start to glaze over a little bit, uh, and I'm just like this is this can't possibly be that interest like that important. Like yeah. I'll, I'll get enough from context from the rest of the episode like i'm not I don't need each individual nuance bit. And but this time, I actually tried really hard to keep up with it because I know how mm-hmm. important the political machinations are generally on these plot lines and I think that I did myself a disservice because it it really confused me a lot, even though it's yeah. um because clearly but what i I did get the, the the major swabs and it- and and I don't know if it's the performance um you know somebody mentioned it on our Mike watches Deep Space nine, and I felt the same way it it what, the this actor's name
0: uh this actor is Bernie Casey. I felt like he was either a little checked out
1: or trying a little too hard to play the different layers of his uh um, what he's hiding versus what he you know, like he's got—he's clearly got some uh, espionage right. type things happening.
0: He's playing a couple of different games at the same time, and yeah. I couldn't
1: tell. It felt his his performance felt muddied, and I wasn't the—I'm I'm glad to hear I wasn't the only person who felt that way, but it, it did not help make things clear in this moment. I'll put it that way.
0: Yeah, I I, I didn't have any problem with with Casey's performance. I think you know, looking back, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end. But this whole storyline, which is so important like you know the who who are the Maquis and the resistance that kind of stuff i think the sort of motivations for all of it are a little muddy exactly what happened is a little bit muddy and i i've never quite resonated with this storyline as much as i think they wanted me to because it's a, it's um the 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 treaty of it all and like you know the who betrayed who, and who had the chance to leave and not leave, and blah 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 blah. It gets a little bit. I I, I don't know. Like I'm I'm just not I'm not quite sure. It, it we're intentionally put in a position where it's a little bit difficult to take to to know what side to take, right? But I think well the view.
1: See, we're getting into the end of the episode. The, the, yeah,
0: you know what? Let's save it. I gotta take a note though because I, I want to make that point. Okay, move on. All right, so Cisco says the Federation is worried that the bombing is going to risk the treaty. And Hudson says uh, they won't risk the treaty with the... The Cardassians won't risk the treaty with the Federation, but Bajor should look out, which is important here, right? Because the Federation and the Cardassians are are one thing, and they both have this treaty. It's very important to them. But the Cardassians don't have the treaty, with Bajor, that they do with the Federation. So look out. So later on the promenade, the guy who I will not mention uh, his follicle choices, uh, who was wearing the Federation uniform before, uh, is talks to a Vulcan who tells him to keep his head down until a not ship arrives. Not just any Vulcan,
1: Keith. I'm going to say it. I'm going to put it on the internet and I don't care. Maybe mm. the hottest Vulcan
0: I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and she's supposed to be. Yeah, uh in, in some of the other trivia, uh her original costume was, yeah, was too, was too, too hot to, to be, handle, right? It was too hot to handle, and they and they toned it down. But it, yes, the, the hotness of said Vulcan is well established. Uh so he said, uh, but she tells him, keep your head down. And it turns out they're watched by two aliens with bowls on their head, uh, which is a very like, it's a big shot that looks very important, but it is not paid off in any way, any shape, way. or form.
1: And they even do, like,
0: a really big, terribly like, directed... Oh, God, like,
1: what? But, I was going to ask you that. That's a no... What? No, what? I did No, I did I thought for sure they would be two of the people we see later after the kidnapping and such, but right. no.
0: I, I forget. Like, maybe it pays off in the second part. I don't remember, but I don't... That was weird. It was weird and feels like a completely dropped thread. Maybe it's not. We have to wait. Well, we have to. Maybe wait they came until out of the makeup get... trailer for extras, and the director was just like, "Yo, get! They look
1: great. Put them in a shot." Although, uh, do they?
0: Or, or maybe they won like, won a contest to be on Deep Space Nine and had to get a featured thing. Anyway, that's uh, not that's,
1: that sh- that stuff happened,
0: especially in the nineties. Oh, it sure did. It happened on Deep Space Nine, absolutely. So uh, we go and see Quark counting his latinum. When said Vulcan lady comes up and proposes a business deal with Quark, her name is Sakona, and naturally Quark hits on her immediately with 300-year-old Vulcan port. Um, which leads me to ask the question, I- I'm sure it's been addressed in canon somewhere, um, but Vulcans make alcohol? It seems seems odd to me that Vulcans would make alcohol. Um, as it would be have uh, deleterious effects that would be illogical, and I remember there was a running gag on Enterprise uh, when T'Pol had alcohol for the first time and like was completely obliterated.
1: You know what? Actually, what I like about this scene, this whole plot through line, actually, is that it, it raises a couple questions for me and or clarifies Clark further, which or makes him more interesting because Clark, quark. Because, Keith, don't ever joke about with me when I'm trying to make a salient point, okay? <laughs> it's so hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. So you would think that potentially flirting with a potential huge new business client could jeopardize or turn off said business client. So why would you – if you're a Ferengi and if what we've learned about Ferengis is business always first, why would you even – why would you even jeopardize that? So either he believes that his flirting is actually beneficial to said business arrangement, mm-hmm. or Quark further proves himself to be a little a little further from the Ferengi central principles than than normal. Like his libido I, here, but I guess we learned about Ferengis too. Their libido is pretty strong.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I I think it's both, and um I I think there's a third element of it that it's a it's a Vulcan. I'm assuming he's thinking like there's not no business deal here. That's going to be interesting or profitable to me yeah, because uh he's probably just want to like send some crackers out at a, like a 3% margin to some orphans or whatever. Like, I don't right. give a crap. That's so fair. let me try it. And she's hot. Let's, let's, let's go there. So I bet this probably a little bit. Uh, I think that's, that's okay, I like Oh, that. wait, I like that. Oh, wait, the bullheads do pay off. I totally forgot. Okay. We both forgot.
1: Uh, so, uh, Keith, I'm so triggered by recent recent things that when you go, oh wait, I was like, oh no, what happened? What did we? What's, <laughs> oh, what Mark wasn't deck. recording?
0: Right. Uh, Sakona wants to discuss their plan privately. She's so and good. Qu- she's so good in this episode.
1: Uh huh. I think she's excellent.
0: <laughs> and uh, then Quark spins it into a dinner date, and then here's what we we literally both forgot. I can't believe the last line of act one is then the bald guy is abducted by the ball heads.
1: Oh, they were the undercover kidnappers, right?
0: There it is. We, we, we blew that. I can't believe we both just completely forgot that they were the ones who abducted the ball, the, 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 the bald. I mean, the, the follically challenged fellow. So in act two, Cisco uh, arrives at home to discover Gul Dukat sitting in his quarters. That's a power move if I've ever seen one. You left
1: the Sis- key at my apartment last time you swung, swung by, Ben.
0: Yeah, well, he, he, he had to go pick up his toothbrush. So Cisco uh, is immediately worried that Dukat might have done something to Jake. And Ducat, of course, is wounded by this, but just wants to speak privately. Ducat explains that he got onto the station without anyone knowing and got into Cisco's quarters. And to this, I say, Odo, oh no, dude, <laughs> like, I know you're you're hamstrung. We're going to talk about it. But like, dude, that's not good.
1: I mean, they uh, do their best. They stretch the thinnest of threads to be like he's like. Well, this used to be my station, it used to be my bedroom, so I know the back corridors. So I mean, that's okay.
0: Which no, and I I would totally believe that. And like Ducat is somebody with the wherewithal to do that. Uh, nonetheless, like that's probably not a good thing for your station security. He's
1: clearly doing it without, not just Deep Space Nine knowing or the Starfleet in any way. But also, basically, what we learned, in command, right? Like he's this is clearly a, I, I want to check up on some things.
0: Yeah, so I mean, Ducat is nothing if not resourceful. Uh, and while the station security might not be great, the lighting continues to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ducat says, uh, you, "You guys have a problem with the ship that blew up, and I'm here secretly to tell you what's going on." And he says it's members of the Federation who blew up the ship. And he's come to convince Cisco to clean it up so the Cardassians don't have to, and thus jeopardize the treaty. And he says, uh, let's let's hop in a runabout and head to the demilitarized zone. And uh, okay, so like we 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 have some intrigue going on mm-hmm. here. We got got some got some problems happening. Uh so later in the runabout, and Cisco's like, Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later in the runabout, which this would have been better informed if we'd had that scene with the admirals. Yeah. To put some pressure on Cisco here to, like, take matters into his own hands. Anyway, so later on the runabout, Ducat complains about his controls not being on.
1: And this is that whole scene. Basically, this is like when you're sitting next to somebody and, like, they look over you and you're like, don't look at my iPhone password. And you're like, I'm not. And then you're like, you memorized it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> what
0: well, ne- never give me a password? Yeah. I, mean, I don't remember anybody's names, but passwords stay with me. Uh apparently, I think I might be a Cardassian. But we also find out uh that Cardassians have photographic memory. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Super cool. Um, but apparently not as cool when you find out that they force kids to learn it at four. But but it it's a great little wrinkle, right? A to know they have photographic memories, which is like a little superpower you didn't know they had, and also reinforces the sort of like bleakness of Cardassian existence. Um, that this is a you know something they force you to learn, but Ducat justifies it by saying education is power, joy is vulnerability,
1: and I like Dukat, what I like about Ben here is is that look we know. It, we, this isn't a new idea, right? Like look at some of the human rights violations from China and some other, the other things that we kind of just like, we know about, we see people complain about, but we're like, yeah, but like my, my stuff is cheap, you know, like we just kind of, so yes, Ben is on this mission and he is, they are supposed to be like completely ex, uh, open to everybody's different cultures. And, but it doesn't mean he don't have opinions. And I like that.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, It's tough with the Cardassians, too, because it's not just some random culture you stumbled across. They were in a bloody, horrible war mm-hmm. against each other recently.
1: The thing I love about Dukat's performance always is that, yeah, we know he's full of BS, but he also knows that Ben knows. And so there's this fun he has with it, with even yeah. when he's being sincere, he knows that it's be, that's his sincerity is being questioned, and he enjoys it. And that there's something very fun about that, which makes these scenes specifically really great. It, Quark does a similar thing, but Ducat really or oh, I I'm not not Quark, um
0: Garrick. Garrick. Well, well Garrick enjoys playing with lo, with like flat lies, mm-hmm. whereas whereas uh, uh Ducat enjoys playing with lies area. of sincerity. Yeah. By by like pretending to be sincere when an when emotional he's not. deceit. Uh but with Ducat, you wonder. Is there actual sincerity beneath his false
1: sincerity? In this episode, for sure, I think. I mean, at least that's where I sit on the fence right now. Like, <clears throat> And it's cool that they use both these guys because when they start to, in this scene specifically, learn that they're, some of the people, their underlings, if you will, are going rogue uh, unilaterally, they both have the exact same response as you would expect a leader to do. So it's, it's, kind, yeah. of, it's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, and it's a, and in fact it's a, Ben's
1: the one who's late to the party here, which is an yeah. interesting
0: writing choice. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh and uh, Ducat here, <laughs> with all of what we're talking about, says, I want to get to know you, Ben. I want to be friends. And yeah, you're like, an honorable man. This this is where we get so many different layers of sincerity. He's he's saying that but we don't think he's sincere, but is he faking being insincere? Does he actually want to be friends, but pretending like he doesn't like Mike, dude, you know, I, I, I just want to be friends with you, Mike. Yeah. I want to, I want you to be my buddy. Yeah. yeah. So then they get a distress signal from a Federation merchant vessel being attacked by two Cardassian ships. And we
1: get to watch an Atari 2600 game. take We place.
0: sure do. That's so much cheaper. Uh, but they're being attacked by Cardassian ships, even though they're in the demilitarized zone. And uh, turns out the Cardassian ships are only shuttles, but they're armed. So uh, Dukat figures that they must be from the colonies in the demilitarized zone.
1: That was my favorite line of this scene. There's so many good ones. good scene. Uh, when he comes over to the panel and Ben looks at him, and he just says, you think I didn't study this thing front and back before I got on the ship with you? Come on.
0: Oh, yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. He's, he's so. all, all over it. Uh, it's very sort of Cold War. Um, and uh, Dukat tries to call pew, the attacking pew, shuttles pew, to pew. tell them to stop the attack, pew, but pew, they don't pew. answer. Uh, even though Ducat gives his verification code. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Dukat says he'll fire torpedoes from the runabout to stop them. Uh And apparently Cisco's like, yeah, sure, fire torpedoes from my Federation ship. Whatever, Uh, why not? Uh, And of course, as you mentioned, Ducat already knows the controls. But before he does, another Federation ship shows up. Mm -hmm. It's not Starfleet, but it is a modified civilian ship. And it blows up the two Cardassian ships. So we have basically two sets of armed civilian ships. Shooting at each other, blowing each other up, and uh, we find out that the Federation and Cardassian settlers are fighting amongst themselves. Which brings us to Act Three, and Korak has pulled out all the stops for his date with the hot Vulcan lady, and she's up for some of it. She'll drink the wine, but she won't dance. Uh, he explains the I rules won't dance. of dance. You can't make. Don't me. ask me. No dance. That asked me. Oh, but That's... there's wine.
1: Yeah, maybe
0: I'll dance. I'll Look, drink. I guess we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> uh huh. She's she's way up for it. It's very strange. Uh, he explains the rules of acquisition. Well, if and... you want to get a good price, here. If you want to get a good price, all right for your arms, and you
1: got to bang some perengi. That's logical.
0: Not? Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, she's she's playing it the little little James Bond. That's like, straight ah. Vulcan, baby. No, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but Quark explains the rules of acquisition, which she says she's reassured by this for Is some reason. Is this reasons. the first
1: time we got a specific number, 286?
0: I think we might have mentioned it before, but it keeps growing. Yeah. Because they keep coming up with more uh, important things. Uh, so, But she says, like, oh, I'm reassured by this. Either she's terribly naive and never bet a Frankie, or it's a lie to try to... Uh, you know, nego- it's a negotiation tactic. But, like, no sane person should be reassured by the right. Ferengi rules of acquisition. Uh, then she shocks Quark by drinking her wine in one swig. And uh, this is when she drops. She wants to buy an extensive list of weapons. Um, so, yeah, there we go. She's not your typical Vulcan. That's for damn sure. We uh, Then we see an interesting blended mat painting and live action establishing shot of a federation colony in the demilitarized zone. As Mike goes through 10 trillion photographs because the Vulcan lady was hot. <laughs> Quark's feeling the way I was feeling. <laughs> <laughs> this, 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 this was Mike on the A woo, woo, little, little hot under the ears, hot under the lobes. Anyway, moving on from that Here's our shot of the Colony here, which uh, Is a cool Yes, yes we, we we get it, Mike, she's she's attractive <laughs> <laughs> uh, So we have the live action shot Blended in to the matte painting here Which is pretty cool um, It's so you cool know, they're going to use it about three more times Yeah. Well, you realize How much work that was mm-hmm. That's a lot of work to make that happen uh, i don't know that the scale works particularly well but no it doesn't make any sense they're, at, at they're all. way too big and it's very clearly a painting yeah. Anyway, and but whatever it's interesting that's mm-hmm. just like it, just how we did stuff like this back in in the 90s versus how we would do it today so uh but we know this is a federation colony in the demilitarized zone and we uh, arrive, and a contentious meeting is taking place between the settlers and, and the Cardassians.
1: And Rez.
0: Yeah, and Media Rez. Hudson is there with his counterpart from the Cardassian colonies, Gal Avec, who we met earlier. Cisco and Ducat arrive and ask why nobody answered either of them during the attack. I've been
1: calling you all day, honey. My phone wasn't on. I've been calling you
0: all day. And Honey was murdering people. You know, I was too busy shooting. In our stuff. car. I was doing pew pew. Uh, so in a station uh, wagon. See, <laughs> in a station. Yeah, exactly. That they put a, uh, a put bazooka a, in a bazooka <laughs> on the station wagon. That's <laughs> kind of, I mean, but that's kind of exactly what it yeah, is. Yeah, 100 percent. evac then pulls out a confession from the Federation dude who blew up the ship. And that dude was one of the Federation settlers who says he's been there for 20 years. They plug in a USB drive and play the hostage video slash confession. Uh, First, everybody
1: everybody holds the USB drive for some reason.
0: Well, it's it's pretty exciting. I mean, this was long before actual USB drives doing this. Uh, And uh, the best thing about this video... Is that it finishes with static, because in 1994 we could envision video files that can fit onto thumb drives that you can just plug in, but we couldn't conceive that we would that there wouldn't still be static at the end yeah, of a video. That's true. On the VHS, which is very funny to me. It is funny. Uh, then they bring in the body and says that he committed suicide in custody, and cue the awkward Star Trek fighting.
1: Oh, I wish I got a screenshot. I tried to get the guy him flying when he there's a one sc- sh- shot where he's just like totally horizontal. It's very funny.
0: Yeah. So the guy lunges over the table and tries to attack, and do we, we see know, here. Sorry. Uh,
1: yeah. Do we know if that guy? Because all we ever saw him really do was talk to the Vulcan. So he was like, I thought he was bartering the f- sort of arms exchange. Do we know that he planted that bomb?
0: Are we? He to- was the he, he was the guy wearing the Federation uniform.
1: Yeah, I know, but we never saw in the beginning. We just see that we don't, we, he clearly had, he was on a mission there, but we don't know that he was the guy
0: who did the bombing necessarily. Oh, I, I I inferred it was obviously him because oh. like he, he opens up a panel on the ship itself right before it leaves. He's beeping oh, and booping Oh, you're right, you're right. The the beep, I forgot the beeping boop. Yeah, he, he was beeping and booping. He clearly set the bomb. Well, wow, this shot looks familiar. Yeah, yeah, but uh, before we go, I'd like to point out that in the aftermath of this, we see Bernie Casey is huge compared to the guy who jumped over the table. And I looked it up. Bernie Casey's is 6'4". But the guy who lunged over the table is absolutely tiny. <laughs> and uh, the, I, the other thing about, so...
1: <laughs> Why is it, what is their, what is that out- costuming?
0: I guess well, that's just what a, they just whatever they wear on the planet, on the, out, in the out- uh, outcrops. No, I, that's specifically, a, 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 he's a Native American oh oh, okay and so we we're going to learn subsequently on next gen and this that because we're trying to draw the parallels or whatever that um that there's a there's a lot of native american colonies in these colonies in the dmz drawing the parallel to being you know sort of more in being more people being displaced and moved around by treaties they had nothing to do with i think that's sort of the the parallel they're trying to do they they make it a Make it much more understandable later than in this episode, um, but that's part of what's happening here. Um, but the, uh, the the little guy who jumped over the table and attacked him—go back and watch this scene because if you want a decision, just like awkward, it's not great. <laughs> so it, it's bad. This so guy,
1: right?
0: uh, yeah, yeah, that guy. So he he leaps over the table. He's tiny, and despite. Literally attempting murder four seconds previously, he has the presence of mind. So he he leaps back, and he's still grimacing awkwardly. Arr, arr, but he still has the presence of mind to fix his vest while yeah. holding that weird face.
1: Gotta look good, baby.
0: It was not not the shining moment of that. That was his big
1: scene. He told everybody, he's I, like, oh, wait, you see, I, I have this great action scene.
0: He's like, hey, I'm gonna attack you. And he's like, hey,
1: hey, hey. He's been going to the
0: gym for like 2 weeks and he's like, "You got six pecs, baby. You lift, bro? He lifts, bro. He apparently. Anyway, Act 4. Hey, go back and watch it. It'll make sense. So, still on the colony, Hudson and Cisco argue about the settlers. And when the treaty happened, the federation wanted them to leave, but the co- colonists didn't want to. So the deal was they agreed to let the colonists remain on the planets in what is now Cardassian space. But Hudson says the Cardassians aren't going to allow that and accuses them of random acts of violence and harassment of the settlers who remained. Cisco says, let the Federation work on it with the Cardassians. And Hudson says the Cardassians are arming the settlers. The Cardassian settlers in the DMZ. Uh, So, this is where we sort of get to the crux of the world building here. Um, And I don't, I'm wondering why the settlers moved to those places in the first place when it was like in, right on the border of a, for like a, of an adversary we were actively or about to be actively at war with. Yeah, it makes more um, and, sense
1: if they had been there previously and they didn't want to leave. But it sounds like they went; they chose there.
0: Well, they chose there, but they said the guy'd been there for twenty years. I don't know how long the Cardassian War went on, right? Um, but they, but it, this this whole thing sort of lives and dies on our belief that the Cardassian government despite making the treaty saying it's okay to have these people stay there, we're going to try to push them out through nefarious means and sort of arm the settlers. If all of this could have been solved, if the Cardassians, when they did the treaty said like, no, you can't leave your people here. Yeah. Cause like, why wouldn't, you know, it it doesn't all quite click in. Um, But so, uh, but Hudson's like the Cardassians are arming the Cardassian folks and harassing them. Cisco uh, is reminded of the fact that the Cardassians are doing something similar, or that they did something similar on Bajor. And they speculate that the ship that was blown up might have been part of the illegal weapons shipping. So um, like we did from the Circle Trilogy, we know the Cardassian government was secretly arming uh, to destabilize the Bajoran people. So he's saying that the ship that blew up was probably bringing arms to the Cardassian settlers in the DMZ. I gotta say
1: though, if if the if 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 their general terrorist plan here is to be getting illegal arms through a third party, a uh, what do you call a a Vulcan smuggler? That is some prime planning because you don't usually sniff out the Vulcans as terrorist arm dealers.
0: No. So like no, what a great that's,
1: that's a great hookup if they got it and then Quark clearly doesn't give two shits so no he a million percent doesn't like what the what well, see it was before like Quark had some like he was doing some some funny business but illegally supplying arms to a rogue a full on arms dealer yeah, that that seems a little bit outside of his league but I guess we underestimated well, our
0: little buddy So's the Vulcan so yeah. I think that's the uh, that's
1: yeah that's but the a Vulcan problem. isn't a major fun
0: comedic character on our show yeah well yeah all right so uh cisco and ducat head back to the station and cisco is pissed that they killed the guy the Cardassians killed the guy and pretended it was a suicide which they obviously did Mm -hmm. uh ducat said i am too but only because it was sloppy and a waste we could have used him more before we killed him um we also learn that apparently 78 people died when the ship exploded. Yeah. Oof. Uh, Dukat denies, of course, that the ship was carrying any weapons. We also learn, just sort of randomly, that Dukat has seven children, which is an interesting wrinkle we didn't know. Back on the station, the Vulcan lady and Quark apparently have made an arms deal, and the Vulcan needs it faster, uh, and he's got a book. But she does seem kind of into him. Yeah, she's Isn't like, it? I can't bang you now, but maybe later. Maybe later. I don't know, maybe. Quark's got game, man. Quark has got game. That I think we can all agree on. Oh, and so here's where you can see his uh, his wardrobe malfunction there. Cisco uh, and Dukat arrive back at the station, and it's uh Wait, it's explain crazy. it to me again. So you see how uh, his left side is tucked in, and his right side, it's sort of flapping oh, out yeah. in front there? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's supposed to be tied back Interesting. Uh, so it's supposed to be armor and not rubber and it's very obviously rubber when it's not tied down um, it's crazy they didn't catch that but I think like that walk and talk was very elaborate there's a ton of extras and moving pieces and maybe they just figured it wasn't yeah, you worth forget how ta- resetting how, forget
1: how hamstrung for time they are remember that whole like, special effect they had to do with Odo and, the, and he was dizzy one day so they're like we can't do it we gotta just like fake yeah. it and post
0: yeah it's crazy uh, so, Cisco shows up on Ops and talks with O'Brien. It was indeed a Federation bomb. We knew that. Uh, Kira then goes to talk to Cisco. She asks if there's a war, if a war is possible. Cisco is pissed, and so is Kira, because she is on the colonist side, and Cisco is not, um, which is understandable from her point of view.
1: Well that's that's the that is the part about the episode that like in huge broad strokes it's all point of view right you've got the the two commanders who are basically looking at things birds eye view right they're tactical and they're looking at and she of clearly and all of the colonists clearly are much more zoomed in and have their stakes are much more specific whereas mm-hmm. uh, the the stakes are more grand and and how those differences in wartime slash political uh,
0: times or, or v- lenses uh, can differ. Yeah, and I and I think what's what's missing in this storytelling to make us be more on the side of these colonists is seeing an attempt from them to expose what the Cardassians are doing. To the Federation, so the Federation can intervene before they kill seventy-eight people. Mm-hmm. If they tried, like here, here's proof they're doing this to us. You've got to protect us, and the Federation's like, meh. Then I totally understand where they're going and and doing sort of these terrorist attacks and 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 fighting back. But without that sort of peace in the middle, because the Federation. Has an investment in in protecting them. Now they're not in Federation territory anymore, and that's part of what the treaty is. So the Cardassians are the authorities in that situation, but they're still Federation citizens, and the Federation still gives a crap about mm-hmm. what happens to them. Uh, so I think it's just missing that piece. Anyway, uh, later, the Vulcan and a Federation security guard go and abduct Ducat out of its out of his quarters. Uh, Sorry,
1: I was I was talking. Okay, here we go.
0: So they abduct <laughs> him out of the out of the quarter. They have another yeah, they, they zap that guy. And uh oh, it's the little guy with the vest. And he's there and they're trying to abduct Ducat. He tries to fight, but then they shoot him and take him away. Uh yeah, there he is. There's like, oh, do you see my vest? It's beautiful. So the Vulcan
1: arms dealer is actually supplying arms to our or the the Federation colonists. colonists. That's right. That's right. So even on the ship, working. they were talking about potentially the Cardassian, or no, not on the ship. The, they were they were speculating that the Cardassians were getting arms to a third party. So it only makes right. sense that clearly the colonists they're, are. So as well, both
0: sides are trying to arm themselves
1: without letting either high command know what they're what's happening right. on the
0: planet. Right. Oh, yeah. They're both sneaking around arming themselves. Yeah. Uh, putting a bazooka
1: on the station wagon.
0: Putting the bazooka on the station wagon. That's right. So uh, Act 5 begins with Cisco arguing with Starfleet while the rest of the cast watch from the other side of the door. And this is the scene mm-hmm. that we didn't get. Odo says, it's the Federation's fault because they won't let me Patriot Act the station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's So we're, we're, we're seeing the rebuttal to what the uh, Admiral was saying in the scene that got cut. Uh, they make a plan to try to find Ducat, and they figure out which ship taking is taking Ducat back to the DMZ. So they they figure out blah 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 the blah, ship manifest; these two ships left blah, blah blah. They figure out what it is.
1: Doctor, you uh, come with me? Uh,
0: okay. Yeah, sure. The, send the doctor. Why not? They then get a message from a group taking responsibility for abducting Ducat. They call themselves <gasps> Dun Dun. Uh, The Mackie, the the Mackie, the Mackie. Being told it's the Mackie, the Mackie, the Mackie. Yes, from the control room. So Cisco, Bashir, and Kira zoom on in a in pursuit on a runabout. They're going to the Badlands, a weird part of space where ships go missing, the Bermuda Triangle of this area. Cisco says we're going to get Dukat back by any means necessary because we're friends now.
1: And she says, even if we gotta blow up some of our own?
0: Yep. Yep. So they find an M-class asteroid with uh that the ship has landed on. They beam down onto a very backlot set looking backlot set. Uh and uh then out of the fog and the mist comes dun 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 again, Hudson, who is now clearly leading the Maquis. In a shocking twist that was a shock to literally no one on the planet. Literally nobody. uh, Here out of the dry ice fog comes which that set is not good. Mm -mm. You couldn't have found an an actual location to do that on. Anyway. uh, And that is our To Be Continued before we talk about Maquis Part 2. But before we hand out some self-sealing stem bolts it is time for Mike's vocab quiz and now it's time for mike and deglio's star trek vocabulary quiz okay mike what is mercassium
1: um that's a thing that is uh in the thing i forget it's the beginning of the episode it was early.
0: Uh, we were looking for a synthetic composite used in shield generation yes. by the Federation. That uh, was the tip of my tongue, tip of your tongue, tip of your tongue. <laughs> and next up, Mike, what is an M-class asteroid? Oh, that's an asteroid that's big enough
1: for you to actually like inhabit.
0: Uh huh. But M-class, meaning it has oxygen and nitrogen, nitrogen environment. Well, clearly, so what you, you would need. Breathe on you
1: it. would need to inhabit, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, there it is. Uh, I'm curious what, and, and like a, a real science person explains this to me, what is the difference between a planet and an asteroid if the asteroid has a uh, atmosphere in that in that sense? Is it because it's not part of a solar system? Neil
1: deGrasse, Neil deGrasse. Or wouldn't that be
0: a rogue planet, not an asteroid?
1: Uh, Keith, don't ask questions you don't want answers to because we're about to get them in the comments. Yeah. Go ahead, tell in- us, let us know.
0: Indeed, and also, like, how does the asteroid have an M-class environment if it's not orbiting a sun? I don't know, man. These or are all a star of some your sort? Answer.
1: I thought this was your my, my
0: quiz. Not. Yeah. I know. I. I well, I, I'm asking for answers. All right. All right. But before, I think it's time to come along home. What do you say? Oh, but hold on. Oh, God, we're already here. <laughs> <laughs> the call was coming from within the... Okay, here we are at Quarks, and I'm drinking from my Quarks bar mug. Ah, oh, there it is. There it is. Let's let's tip one back, chase around some uh, some sexy Vulcans, and answer the question, Mike. Were there any wormholes in the plot?
1: Um, oh God. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, for the most part, yeah. Um, but I can't. I guess just like the wormhole for me is is more esoteric. It's like what is the viewpoint I'm supposed to have? Um, so that's mm-hmm. it's you know. So I'm not sure that they laid the stakes out properly. So I don't know that that's a wormhole so much. But I think it's that first scene with with Ben and and the other guy that they they don't they don't hit they they don't bullet point it for me. You know what I mean? I think they actually the wormhole is that there's too many worms. Uh, and not enough holes. Uh-huh.
0: Not oh. enough hole. Yeah, too many <laughs> worms. Just like a bolus of worms, and there's no hole for them to go <laughs> in. Do you have more anything more specific, Keith? Because what I just said was word soup. It's like a Gordian knot of worms. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I think you're right. Um, I, you know, I I think that there weren't necessarily any like wormholes in the plot laid out of the in the structure of the episode. But I think the, what are everybody's motivations here of the Maquis seem much more clear to the characters on the show than it does to the audience watching. And it's, it's almost like I'm, and I've, I've always felt this. About the Maquis in general, which is a big part of, of Voyager. And you know, we we tee it up on Next Gen. And they teed up a little better on Next Gen than they do here in this episode. And we're gonna we're gonna get into it a lot more, um, because it it, it is sort of an important part of all of this. But the the mult the the changing of the border and the like colonists of each side being on various sides and like why are they it's it's all a little muddy and it's it's a little bit murky and it didn't it doesn't need to be right the the story they're trying to tell is there are these people who got screwed over by a treaty and are being overlooked by the Federation and exploited by the Cardassians, so they're having to fight to protect themselves, trying to make some sort of an analogy with the uh, the Bajoran resistance that Kira was a part of. They're calling themselves the Maquis, you know, in reference to the French resistance in World War II, but I don't think it's... The parallel they're trying to make by calling themselves the Maquis, it's not quite the same thing. They weren't taken over, by the nazis the 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 territory changed hands and they chose to stay mm-hmm. now i understand being forced out of your out of your home because of a, a treaty that you had no control over that i'm with you like 100 i'm pissed by that i can't believe federation gave up this territory um but like whose territory is it now because it's in the dmz so it's it's sort of it's not it is technically Cardassian territory, but it's not full regular Cardassian cardassian territory. It's all just muddy to me. And maybe somebody smarter can explain yeah, but that's, that but whole deal.
1: I agree, but this is a 45-minute television episode. It it's it's not interesting enough for all of the nuance that they're trying to layer in or for the blurry. It just just give me we the bullet We don't know points. any of
0: these people. Yeah, just give me the bullet I, I, points. I think, that's, I think that's part of it. If mm-hmm. they'd found a way to make it a character that we know and care about and have a relationship with and see it through their eyes. I mean, they told this story a million times better with, with Kira, Kira pushing the guy, the guy yep. off the moon, mm-hmm. you know, because they, in imminent domain took him off. Like, I felt so much more invested and cared so much more about his plight then I do Wait, these so, people. But, so speaking of
1: the confusion, because this is still like all right, I thought once I read the thing about Voyager that we would be that Voyager was about these settlers. And I was like, oh, they have to clearly then set up the stakes for the settlers because the that's what Voyager's about. But that's not what Voyager's about, right?
0: Well, I mean, I guess I'm gonna be giving away the pilot of Voyager to okay, you, but it's that's not all right. it's it's not really that much of a Uh, what happens is that voyager the federation ship is chasing a maquis ship through the badlands then something happens that puts them on the other side of the entire universe 80 years away oh and so the two ships decide to combine forces
1: Hmm.
0: so that the cast you know the the all the people on on the Voyager ship are made of half Federation officers and half Maquis members. And so that sort of sets up the initial tension of the show. You have like these, you have the straight-laced Federation folk and then these sort of bandits and some of the bandits used to be in the Federation and left uh, to join the Maquis. And so that's sort of the setup for it. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's something there that it didn't really end up being that interesting, but it was sort of the, the setup for it um you know there's an episode of next gen which makes this much more there's a much better um explanation of where they're coming from in the episode of next gen where they they go it's it's specifically an indigenous american community on one of these places and they're like we have been pushed off our land a trillion times. You, you, we can't, you can't again. And that I'm like, okay, now I understand where you're coming from. Um, but with this, these sort of like nameless, faceless, kind of boring McKee dudes who don't look particularly scary or particularly interesting. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just muddy. And I'm, it's asking me to care a lot at the end of this episode, it's 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 asking me to be very invested in the outcome of all of this, and at this point, I, I, I don't I don't know if I care. Yeah, I'm
1: feeling similarly. So let's let's move on. But what, what, let's yeah. talk about our favorite moment. Best moment
0: for me Best it's moment.
1: the scene with uh, we
0: all know what your favorite moment is. No, it's surprisingly
1: no. It's Cisco and Ducat okay. in the runabout because yeah, I learned more about both of them as characters in that scene, then really I learn anything about anything else in the whole show and what I like it's not a shocker but what I like about that is that they they use two great performances and the and the stakes and the situation to show us a lot of their similarities which mm-hmm. in two people who are clearly set up to be antagonistic an antagonistic relationship when the more you learn how they're similar makes it all the more juicy when they go head to head so I uh, thought this was a great buddy cop, as Keith and I have come to term these type of episodes, and uh, I was a fan of it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, and I'm just gonna pick the other the the initial scene mm-hmm. where Ducat shows up in his quarters, and Cisco's like, "Oh, you've abducted Jake," and he's like, "I'm wounded by that." Um, I I just like the the menace of it, mixed with the with the woundedness that you would think I would do something bad, but and it just it, it reinforces like ducat has got some game yeah. that he's able to get in there and and play that. I think that I thought that was interesting.
1: And it also, you know, it gives we get this with some other characters, but Ducat is usually sort of the like we see him as the big leader, the big bad of the Cardassians, if you want to say if you want to lay it that way. And I like he's that not. That, I know, but yeah, uh, um, he's often carries that weight. I like that. In this, episode, in this episode specifically, we see him as very shrewd, very tactical, very mm-hmm. even-keeled, prepared, and yeah. you can't—you almost can't argue against almost any of his thoughts, ideas, or motivations in this episode. Yeah, there's
0: some logic kind of, to it. So yeah, I it, love that. He, he, ha- he has internal logic in this episode, and he proves, I think, three separate times he's a step ahead. Yeah, right. He proves it by getting into the quarters. He proves it by knowing what's happening with these colonies ahead of time. He know, he proves it by like knowing the the, the instruments. And on it's the about runabout.
1: time, right? Like we're almost done the second season. We finally get Ducat in a whole episode doing
0: his thing. Yeah. Uh So yeah, it's it, it's it's interesting. Ducat's a very interesting character. Uh, all right. So let's do some uh, stem bolts. What do you say? I'm gonna keep it keep it pretty brief here.
1: Uh, I'm a I'm a hard meh on the episode. I, I felt mm-hmm. it, it's hard to 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 recoup from such a muddied opening. Uh, it, it's really hard. Um, I do think things do pick up in the final act. I like the kidnapping sequence. I like that all of the 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 cool stuff they did with the Vulcan. That she comes in and she's part of that team. And I think. The setup, even though the setup with, with Ben's friend in the beginning kind of stunk, where it's going is interesting. That conflict is interesting. Those stakes are interesting. So as a setup, yeah, okay. I like where the cards are. I'm excited for the second episode, but this episode was uh, fairly boring for me all the way through. Um, the stuff I liked, I'll say, is the Quark and the Vulcan, tete-a-tete, mm-hmm. I think it was very well done. I thought Ben and Ducat buddy cop was excellent all the way through but i guess the viewpoint of the show that that didn't quite work for me is that it's it it's focused so much on the the two leaders the the zoomed out view so the tactical view but in doing so it almost made it almost cast off the specific stakes and intrigue of the actual conflict taking place on the ground mm-hmm almost to the point where you're like it doesn't matter. They're just fighting amongst themselves and it doesn't matter. That's it's not important. And but it is important. It should be. I feel like it should be, especially if the whole next episode is going to be about that, but it seems like that fight is in the background. And right here the plot we're focusing on is like the kidnapping and the, the zoom out. And so that imbalance makes the stakes muddy for me. Uh and so, you know, hopefully it was a good setup for Voyager because I feel like that maybe it'll be more it's more beneficial in that way because as a standalone episode, it's tough to rank. I'm giving it seventy-one stem bolts, sixty-sixty-eight stem bolts.
0: Yeah, I. You know, I. Yeah, you're you're right about about all of that, and I think that the the two things this episode fumbles are, like you said, stakes and motivations, right. I'm not sure what the stakes are, and I'm not really clear what the motivations are for any of the because there's there are uh there are four separate f- factors here, right? You have the Federation colonists, you have the Cardassian colonists, then you have Ooh. Cardassia. Hi. What's oh, what's up, you might <laughs> just beamed into 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 nothingness. <laughs> You why does that keep happening? What are you doing, buddy? Not,
1: I, I, okay. I think we're back.
0: Stop hitting buttons. Oof. I think I said <laughs> a
1: hockey I didn't mean to say.
0: Yeah. So you, you 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 so you have the, the the two sets of colonists, and then you have the two governments, the federations and the Cardassians. And the stakes for all four of those don't really aren't really that clear. The clearest are for the Federation colonists that the that. Either the Cardassian government or the Cardassian colonists or those two in collusion are trying to push them off the land for some reason that I don't know why. Right, right. There's where we're missing the motivations. Like, like, why are they trying to push them off Mm -hmm. there? Why do they care? What's do they have resources? Do they want the space? Like, what is it? I don't know. Um, And um, and and there's also like we're not reinforcing the the stakes. For the governments. Mm. All right. So why I mean, we get it. There's a there's a treaty, there's a war, but we don't really set up like, man, if this if this fails, they might be at war with each other again. So this is really important. And that's sort of like implied, but not really set up. So it's not at the foreground. I don't really know why it's that big of a deal. Yeah, Kira Kira
1: almost has that scene where she's like, Does this mean we're gonna have war but like that's kind of tossed aside too it's
0: the 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 fragility of the stability is not set up well here that's a story they're telling Mm -hmm. that these these colonies battling with each other might start an inter intergalactic war okay that means i feel the stakes are high there but it's not set up that well it's and and so and i don't have anybody to root for like, you know, the McKee here, yeah, I, I, no, I sympathize with your situation, but, like, I don't know who you are. We haven't met any of you. You're just a bunch of nameless people in earth tone vests. That's, like, basically all I know is that they really love, like, a dark purple vest. Mm-hmm. And, like, that, that, okay, so what else? What? Why? Why are you here? Why do you want to be here so much? What is the, what is your, what is your motivation? What are your stakes? It's all muddy, so, therefore, I end the same place you do, like, I don't know if I care about any of this. Yeah, just tough. Especially, um,
1: especially going into a whole nother hour.
0: <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're trying so hard to make this important, everything in this episode is in italics. Like, this is important. This is important. We're setting up an entire series out of this. And we're, we're setting this up on two other series to do this. And I don't care yet. And I think that that is um, where they have some heavy lifting to do, uh, which we're going to find out whether they do that in the McKee part two. But I'm going to give this 74 self-sealing stem bolts. I I didn't hate it as much as you did, mainly because of the Ducat of it all. Mm -hmm. I think Ducat rescues this episode. Um, But we'll have to see how this all pans out next week in the McKee part two two uh so while you're waiting for that to happen you can check out our other shows look at my star trek toys k and m geekly and uh the sporadic episodes of keith and mike play star trek the final unity uh all here on the youtubes if you're listening to this on the audio only podcast do us a favor leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you have there it'll help other people Find our nonsense. And if you found our nonsense and you're like, boy, I would like to give those fools money, you can do so at patreon.com slash K-N-M, spell out that "and" and get even more of our nonsense. So, uh, Mike, that's it. Part two next week. We're all on breath. I don't know if it's bated breath, but we're all on breath. Which is good. Part which, is, which is good step one. Keep breathing. We will see you back here next week with another episode of Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.